millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We're in the studio this week with Sean Patton. Sean has served as our Africa regional leader for the last several years. He has previously been a guest here on VOM Radio, uh, and he is right in the midst of a transition. And we're going to talk about that transitioning uh, out of VOM and back into pastoral ministry, which is what he was doing uh, before he came to work here at VOM. So we will talk about that. Uh, Sean, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I wrote at the top of my notes that this is your exit interview, so mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably had an exit interview with HR and handed in your keys and all of those things. Um, this is going to be a little different, but but I want to start out. When you came to work at VOM, you came out of a pastoral role here in an American church. What was it about coming to work at VOM that you thought, oh, I really want to do that? I'm really excited about doing that. Yeah, well, maybe I'll start a little bit further back. So my life, I just feel like, has always been intertwined with pastoral ministry and missions. And this goes all the way back to college. My major in college was pastoral ministry. My very first class in college was introduction to pastoral ministry. I walk in that class. I sit down at my desk. We had a a very godly professor. Dr. Dawson was his name. And Dr. Dawson said, right now, I want everyone in the class to get down, kneel by your desk, He said, most of you are going to graduate from this university. You're going to go preach the gospel to 5% of the English-speaking world in one of the 13 Bible Belt states. And he's like, I just want you to pray right now. Would you at least not consider maybe going to the East Coast or West Coast or going somewhere else where they speak English, but they haven't heard the gospel? Or would you consider even going further and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? And so... Introduction to pastoral ministry, my first pastoral class, I I kneeled down at my desk and left that class that day, and I changed my major to missions. And so so now I'm ready to be a a missionary after I I graduate from college, uh, end up going to seminary, because that's what you got to do to be a missionary, that I'm told. So I go to seminary for a while. While I'm in seminary, I get involved in a local church, and I start doing an internship and just passionate about the local church. And then from there— ended up planning a church off the church where I did the internship. And one of the first things we wanted to do is be a mission-minded church. So we adopted an unreached people group. And so I uh, had a couple come who were working with this unreached people group in, uh, in Southeast Asia. They came, and through those conversations, they helped us to get overseas uh, to be on their team to be ministering with them. Interestingly enough, that couple today now works uh, here at VOM, and so uh, so we've Small had a world. long, long uh, history and relationship together. And it's neat to see how God orchestrates that. But um, did a two-year stint overseas, came back, and uh, and did some bivocational ministry, but found myself back in the local church, a lay elder, and then eventually um, working as an associate pastor in the church when I came to VOM. But for me. Pastoral ministry, God's heart for the nations, it, it all works together. And I, I really believe, you know, it's 
The church is the pillar and support of the truth. The church is how God makes known the manifold wisdom of Christ to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And it's the church's job to be on mission. And and praise God, we do have missions organizations. We have parachurch ministries who can come alongside the church and and help the church accomplish the Great Commission. But uh, the two are intertwined, and they've always been one and the same for me, really. I, I love it that that professor on the very first day— yeah sort of put that out there, like, hey, it's great to be a pastor, but but where are you going to be a pastor? Where are you going to go? Uh, even from that first day, I want to talk about a transition point, because your most recent role has been serving as as the leader of our work in Africa. How long did it take you to fall in love with Africa? Be- because I I think you yeah. have fallen in love with Africa. You, that's interesting that you said that. I've written several notes to colleagues and friends, and especially those who were already in Africa when I came into the region. And one of the things I said several times in those notes was, thank you for helping me fall in love with Africa. But it didn't take long. Uh, I I remember the first trip on the continent, and there's just something about you come back, and there's that red dirt that's still on your boots, and that red dirt just kind of, it gets in your heart, and it uh, it stays. And you you hear people talk about it all the time who take those short-term mission trips to Africa, and it's just like, but there's something special about it. There's something special about the people. And there's really something special about the way the Lord's working in Africa that I think is just, it's hard not to fall in love with. It's hard not to fall in love with, but that also comes with the price. And you've seen the increase in persecution, the increase in attacks. And one of the things about Africa is we're not talking typically about somebody being thrown in prison. We're talking about a whole village being burned down. We're talking about people with machetes coming in and and chopping people up. It, It is sometimes horrific persecution. How how much did that weigh on you as you start to encounter these really terrible situations and, and such a such a high level of suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think early on it's it's shocking and um uh you, you see so much suffering and it, it does take a while to to learn how to deal with that and process that. It, I think over time, probably like a lot of people who work in, you know, whether you're an EMT or, or whether you're a soldier in battle, um, it, unfortunately, it becomes sort of normal yeah. after time. And, and you do develop coping mechanisms and and maybe you're a little little more numb over time and um, not not numb to the suffering, but just numb to some of the the violence and how gruesome things can be. But like I say, in, in every situation, I think the thing that really has always helped get through those situations is to see what the Lord's doing in it. And, we, and we've just seen him take immense suffering and turn it into something that's incredible. You know, the, the death of our Lord is the most horrendous thing that's ever happened on the planet, and it's the most amazing act of sacri- sacrificial love and grace and glory that's ever happened as well. And And we see just the life of Christ being lived out in the lives of these Christians, where they do suffer some of the most horrible things you've ever seen. And the Lord uses the blood of those martyrs, and he, he builds his church, and he can bring about joy and forgiveness and, and growth and grace and all these things in the midst of it. And that's, that's what's beautiful, and I think that's what keeps us going, is, is we, we don't just get to see the bad things. We get to, we get to walk with these folks for five, six, seven, ten years, maybe— longer. For me, a lot of these have been 10 years. And you really get to see the long haul of what the Lord does. And there's always a beautiful redemption story 
that comes out of this when people press into it and they trust the Lord. And, and that's an amazing thing. And we get to tell those stories, and I love that. Yeah. What are some of the stories? What are some of the people that you've encountered? Before Africa, you were in South Asia, so India. I know we got to travel together. Uh, what are some of the stories that, that you'll carry out of VOM with you that just have impacted your your heart and impacted your mind? Some of these I've probably told before, probably told on the radio before. And, and you do just have certain moments that just catch you. One moment for me that it's just, it'll always be there, is visiting an Eritrean family, refugees in Uganda. Um, their father's still in prison today. You you knew their father. Yep. Yep. And I think had you had, had him. met him 20-some years ago, you know, and I think we're coming up on... Oh, goodness, what is it? 18, it's 18 years in prison. To sit with that family, to to see um, just their faithfulness. Um, and, and it happened for uh, for me and, and my colleague I was traveling with. This happened within a day of uh, Father's Day. I think, I think Father's Day was on a Sunday, and I think we met with them on a Monday. Wow. And so we were on a trip. We were missing our families. We, we probably were kind of internally having a little pity party for ourselves about, well, we'll look at us suffering for Jesus. You know, we're away from our families on Father's Day, things like that. And then to meet this family who have been without a father uh, for probably at that time was maybe 14 years, 18 years now. And, uh, and just to hear the kids and to hear their trust and faith and confidence in the Lord, but to know he wasn't there for birthday parties and he wasn't there for graduations. And um, in fact, uh, one of the daughters just graduated from college, and that yep. uh, was so encouraging. I saw a picture of that as well and, yep. and cried over it. Absolutely. Actually. I cry every time I see one of those major events. And and then, you know, even though she doesn't know me well, heard that I was leaving the organization and wrote me a, a very wow. sweet letter. And so uh, those are the kinds of folks that just, they touch your heart, they inspire you, and and they're still going through it, and so I think about them every day. I pray for their father every day, and it's uh, just really, really challenging to me. What about on the project side? Uh, and, you know, our work is to help people like that family, mm -hmm. but that involves projects and, and paperwork and receipts mm -hmm. and all of those things. Are, are there some project things that that have been accomplished under your leadership that you just think— that is really cool that, yeah. that we got to do that. Or on the other side, are there some projects that just went south and you're like, yeah, uh, that didn't work out how we planned? Yeah, there's there's both. Um, there's and, and some of them can be quite humorous. You know, I think of one of the first times we did a, a, a project for uh, a pastor who was needing some some help with some financial income. And I, I think we bought a few cows for him, you know, and um <laughs> the, the people who are actually managing the project were very reluctant to tell us that the project went poorly, but the the cows were eaten by lions, you know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so you're trying to write a, uh, you know, you're doing your end of the year and you're trying to evaluate a project and you're writing the the project report what went well, what, what went poorly, and those kinds of things, you know. And you're, <laughs> it's just kind of funny it when you're typing really out. Well. It's going really well until the lions showed up and <laughs> ate the cows, and so. Uh, but uh, but things like that happen. It's, it's right. just the reality. Um, but I I do think uh, you know some of the things that have been very encouraging are some of the the Bible distributions we've been able to do. 
Um, I think of how many children's Bibles we've been able to put in the hands of uh, young children in Africa whose parents are trying to disciple them and trying to uh, help them stand against Islam and some of the pressures. A lot of these kids, you know, they have to go to an Islamic school. And so to have that children's Bible that they can have and read and uh, be discipled through each and every day is, is very important. And uh, so th- some of those projects are the ones I'm like, it's, I know it won't be till we get to heaven and we, we get to see some of the, the fruit of those Bible projects because we know the Word of God does not return void. And and we've, you know, distributed hundreds of thousands of Bibles in Africa during my time. And uh, logistically, those can be very challenging projects as you're trying to get those out to villages and through rivers and using land cruisers and things like that. And so uh, there have been challenging projects, but I'm excited to, to see in eternity what that means. Sean, what kinds of lessons have you learned from the people that we talk to? I mean, you mentioned the family of that mm-hmm. imprisoned pastor. What kinds of lessons that have affected your own faith and yeah. and the way you serve the Lord, the way you read the Bible, the way you try to live out what it means to be a Christian? Mm. You know, I think— And, and I know we could yeah, spend hours absolutely. talking about I, this. So. I think one of the most encouraging lessons that I've learned during my time at VOM has been just— how similar persecuted Christians are to us. Now, they, they are dissimilar in the sense that they are facing uh, some really unique challenges, and, and they are examples, and they are inspirations to us. I don't want to downplay that at all. But in most of those situations, when you really talk to them, you find out everything that you would imagine they've gone through as well, where they're at one time they were angry. At one time they might have been plotting revenge at one time. But then God's grace intervened. The Holy Spirit enabled them to endure the suffering and to, and to do it in a Christ-like way. And so you, you meet the person, you kind of have them on a pedestal, and then you, you find out, no, they're a lot like me. And it's really, it's really the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives that has enabled them uh, to be this exemplary Christian to us. And I think uh, that should encourage us. It should inspire us. I, th- I think of the scripture where the passage where it says, uh, you know, Elijah was a man just like us. He had a nature just like ours. And he prayed and, and you know, the, the, rain, the, the rain stopped and he, and he prayed and the rain, you know, I mean, it's just the, the scriptures tell us. Um, I, I think if we had an opportunity to spend time with Elijah or the Apostle Paul, we would actually realize we had a lot more in common with them than we think. We tend to kind of put them up and think, they would have been difficult to understand or or we would you know they're they're these super christians that we we wouldn't really have anything in common with and that's really not the case it's it's the grace of god in their lives and so uh i've just been really encouraged of meeting folks it gives me encouragement that if i'm in that situation it's not about me you know that 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 the same we serve the same god we have the same holy spirit we have the same savior and we have the same uh, a means of grace, and I, I just trust that God would do the same thing in my life when facing those situations. And and then two, as I think about going into the pastoral ministry role again, um, it's just been really interesting to meet pastors all around the world and to find out that pastors go through the same thing no matter where you are. You know, whether you're at First Wesleyan or First Methodist or Bible Baptist or whatever church you're at, if you're a pastor out there today. You know, the guys who are, are serving and 
uh, city churches in Nairobi to rural village churches in Mozambique, they're facing uh, very similar challenges. Now, a lot of those guys have the extra challenge of being in a very difficult and a very dangerous place, and a lot of them are facing persecution. A lot of them have unique challenges of when they actually do evangelism and win people to Christ. They now have to make support for those people, right. and so they they, provide a house they, they just them. they just won this this wife and these six children to the Lord, but the father didn't come to faith, and now he's got you know seven extra mouths to feed who are living in his house till he finds a solution, and they have they have those unique challenges as well. But most of them are, you know, they're trying to disciple their people, they're trying to prepare a sermon. A lot of them feel insecure and, and, you know, feel their preaching's inadequate and are just going through a lot of the same struggles and the same daily grind uh, that a pastor here in the United States is. And that's what pastoral ministry is. It's, it's feeding sheep, it's shepherding people, and shepherding looks the same all over the world. Sean, has there been a season that, that was particularly hard, or, or what has kept you awake at night over the last years that you've been serving in this role, mm-hmm. when you think about the continent of Africa, you think about all of our brothers and sisters there who are being persecuted and facing hardship, what have been the things that have kind of most weighed on you? Yeah. There is the aspect of the persecution, of the of, of seeing horrific things, maybe even what we would refer to as maybe secondhand trauma and things like that, that do weigh on you. And it, it weighs on you when you see it weigh on your teammates and your guys going to the field and you see them come back and you can see those blank looks on the faces and it takes a few days to kind of re-engage and, you know, get that off their chest and off their mind. Um, there, there's that. And, the, and, the, and that has caused some sleepless nights over the years. I think you've probably asked me this question before. And I think one of the things, though, that has always been for me, uh, what I've feared the most is just unfaithfulness on our part of of getting a phone call of a guy on my team, maybe who's had a moral failure, or we've seen at least maybe not with anyone on our team, but with people we've partnered with where they, they seem to be a really great partner. And, you know, as someone who maybe came out of Muslim background and was a great Muslim apologist and evangelist, and then they they go back. You know, they, they, they turn their back on Christ and they go back to Islam because things just got too hard. And, and so for me, those are the really hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, to see people suffer for being faithful, that's hard, but, but praise God for that, you know. But to see people fall or turn away from Christ or have a moral failure or, you know, those are the things that, that, that really— weigh on me, yeah. that scare me. And so that's one of the things when I lay my head on my pillow at night is just praying, you know, Lord, protect us, protect our team, keep us faithful. You know, that's what we want to be. Tied into that question, my next question, what what advice, we've, we've got a lot of new folks on mm-hmm. the international yeah. ministry side, what advice do you give the people who have come onto your team in the last couple of years as they kind of dive into this work and knowing the weight of it, knowing mm-hmm. the stress, knowing you're going to be gone a lot. What advice do you give them? This work is important, and and pour yourself into it, give yourself to it. You know, one of the things I've always been about is is stay committed to first principles. You know, I think there's a reason why when Paul even writes to the church, you know, you're not qualified to be a leader in the church 
unless you've led your own household well. And I think that's just Paul saying you got to take care of first principles first. If you can't manage your own household and your wife and your children and that world's falling apart, you're, you can't manage the household of God. So take care of that first. You have that in order. You move on and, and you do bigger things. And so that's one of the things I really stress with our guys and our team is, uh, yes, pour yourself into this. But if, if there's things going on in the family, if there's things that need taken care of, let's pull back. Let's take care of those things. And always be faithful to take care of those first things first. Take care of the little things. If you if you can't do the little things, you can't do the big things. If you know if you haven't been faithful with little, you're not going to be faithful with much. And so we're being given much here at VOM, and let's make sure we've we've done the the right things to be faithful with little. And so uh, I don't think there's anything special about us here, or even necessarily our our backgrounds and our expertise, which I'll, we do have great guys who come from missions backgrounds who have a lot of knowledge and a lot of expert missiologists on our teams and things like that. But really. The main things for what we do, I mean, you've, you've got to be a man of God and you've got to be faithful and a, a person of prayer because it's hard and it's not something you can do in the flesh. You know, competency only takes you so far. And honestly, character only takes you so far. Grace, the Holy Spirit, all these things that enable our persecuted family to do what they do, we've got to have that yeah. too. So connected to that, how do we pray? Our mm-hmm. listeners, our people of prayer, how do we pray for the guys on our team that are out? into all of these countries, Mm -hmm. uh, meeting people like that family whose dad is in prison, meeting people who've lost a loved one, meeting pastors who are struggling. How do we pray for them in their work, Mm -hmm. but also in their, in their first principles? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would pray that, you know, that they would be just full of the Holy Spirit, that when they're out in the field, and they're ministering to people that there's a well to draw from, that it's it's an overflow of what God's already doing in their life um, because they are being faithful in their families. They are being faithful in their local churches. They are being faithful in their Bible study and prayer. And so they, they are filled full um, with the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. And when they go out into the field and when they minister to people, that that's just overflowing and, and, and spilling out. And so... Uh, we don't want people out there in the field trying to encourage our persecuted family who are who are dried up and tired and and weary and uh, and struggling. We need to pray for their their own faithfulness and for for God's grace in their life. Amen. Sean, you're making a transition back into pastoral ministry, and I think this is like you talked about earlier. It's it's kind of been a back and forth mm-hmm. your your whole life. Yeah. What do you take out of VOM, and what do you take out of all of these conversations and encounters and uh, cups of tea with persecuted Christians? Mm-hmm. What of that are you going to specifically try to incorporate into now coming back into a U.S. pastoral setting? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as, as I've kind of mentioned with my story, it, it goes back and forth between missions and 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 pastoral ministry and. I don't think that's unique. I think that's really the way it should be. I think a pastor should have a mission's heart, and I think a missionary should have a pastor's heart. And I think when we're in the field doing mission work, um, we're we're pastoring and we're shepherding. And we should have that heart when we're ministering to those folks. And I think, you know, pastors need to have that mission's heart of seeing beyond the four walls of their congregation to their own communities, but to the ends of the earth, and especially thinking of our, of our persecuted family who are our body. They. They are a part of us. They're they're a part when we when we take communion each week and we stick that bread in our mouth and we drink that cup. We are 
showing our union with Christ, but we're showing our union with brothers and sisters around the world. And so I think for me, having having traveled, having experienced these these rich relationships in the field, I think it makes all of that more real. And I hope to to bring that in into the church where we are mission-minded, where we are thinking of our brothers and sisters, we're praying for them on a regular basis in the worship service, where when we do take communion, we are mentioning that from time to time, that we are communing with Christ, but we have brothers and sisters around the world who are connected to Christ who we're communing with as well, and we are one body, and and really try to press that home because uh, we're commanded and, and Hebrews 13, to remember those uh, who are suffering as if we were suffering with them or if we were in their place. Why? Because we're in the body. We're in the same body. And so um, I hope to really be able to maybe use some of the stories and some of the experiences to bring that. But I don't think you have to have traveled to the field right. to to feel that, to understand that. And I would encourage you know pastors to avail themselves of our magazine or, or other resources that help just keep that fresh in a pastor's heart. Uh, to put that in front of his congregation. And I, I want to connect that in because, like you say, most of the pastors maybe who are listening to this, they haven't spent the last 10 years in Africa. They mm-hmm. haven't met with all of these persecuted Christians. And frankly, they're swamped. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've they've got a lot going on. Uh, my pastor has shared, he gets e- emails every day from people. Hey, what mm-hmm. do you think about this? Hey, watch this video and tell me what you think about it. Hey, mm-hmm. And they're now getting asked about, you know, political issues mm-hmm. and medical issues and all of these things. Right. So how how would you advise pastors to do that, to mm-hmm. sort of keep this richness that comes from being connected with the broader body of Christ and yeah. and still prepare a sermon this week and still, you know, stay on top of what you need to stay on top of with your congregation? How how do they work that in? Yeah, I would I would say incorporate it into what you're already doing. You know, you if you do a pastoral prayer every week, pray for the persecuted church and and pray for one country or one situation that you know about and work that into your pastoral prayer. People, it's one or two sentences, but it keeps it on the mind of the mm-hmm. congregation. You're looking for illustrations every week for your sermon. We've got three great stories every month that are going to come out in a magazine. In addition to all the other content we put out, right? Read that magazine, work work that story of of a persecuted Christian into one of your illustrations. It you know it's it it's going to be powerful. It, it probably is going to work really well for what you're trying to illustrate, and it's probably going to be better than a, a Marvel movie illustration that you know you might be tempted to use. And so, you know, we're always looking for great stories mm-hmm. to to really press things home to our congregation. And we we produce a lot of great stories that are we true stories. Have a lot of great VR. stories. So please use that. And like I say, there's just in the normal life of the church. I think you you know we do have a lot of discipleship curriculum and things like that that are coming out of VOM that you can work in small groups and things. But I think the pastor taking the lead to just being the air he breathes when he's praying his pastoral prayer, he's talking about the persecuted church. When he's given a sermon, he's got illustrations that come from the persecuted church. When he's officiating communion, you know, that he's reminding us that we're a part of this larger body, which includes persecuted Christians, working it into every aspect of the life of the church, uh, I think is, is important. But I think, I think it's really something that it's easy to do and it brings depth Mm -hmm. and it brings a connection to, 
church history, to the body of Christ around the world. It makes what we're doing on a Sunday morning much bigger than if we just, you know, uh, we, we don't we don't think about those things. And so um, I think it'll bring a lot of depth, a lot of, uh, a lot of encouragement to your people if, if pastors will do that. Sean, last question mm-hmm. uh, before you go, and I want to talk again back to prayer. Mm-hmm. How do you pray differently for persecuted Christians today than you did on your first day at VOM after so many mm-hmm. conversations and so many encounters and so many projects? How do you pray differently, or or do you pray differently? Off the top of my head, I think a way maybe that I I do pray differently is I, I think probably when I when I first came into to VOM, there there was a sense of maybe pity towards our persecuted family, and I, I remember one of the first stories I I'd heard when I came in about uh, just a, a horrible situation in in Nepal, where as uh, kind of retribution towards a pastor who was who would not quit preaching the gospel. Some radical Hindus had had raped his very very young daughter. We're talking uh, six, seven, eight years old, and um, and just internalizing that as a father and everything. And that was that was a hard story to kind of be the first one of the first things I came in on. But but I think there was a at that time more of a sense of just feeling just absolute pity for somebody who had to go through that. I think now probably praying for persecuted Christians, it, it is more about no, seeing so many stories of God redeeming that and, and seeing so many people who it was hard in the moment, but then the Lord did amazing things to to use that to to win their persecutors, to to do all these things that they could never think or imagine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think... I, I think it's just more hope-filled, you know. I'm I'm praying for them, but I'm praying, trusting, hoping in a God I've seen be faithful time and time again to take something that looks very ugly, very broken, and looks completely hopeless, and turn it into something absolutely amazing. That I think that's probably the aspects of my prayers that have changed. That God, I trust you that you're going to do something really incredible with this because I've seen you be faithful and do it time and time again. We often quote the verse, all things work together for good. Uh, When you think about a situation like that in Nepal, in the moment, it's like, Lord, how are you going to bring good out of this? Mm -hmm. But like you say, he does. Mm -hmm. He is faithful. He can. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that insight. As we pray, I hope our listeners will pray with that same sense of almost anticipation, excitement. God, mm-hmm. I don't know how you're going to do it, yeah. but I trust you that you can bring good even out of this. And I'll say, I, and I hope our listeners will take that into all aspects of prayer, not just for the persecuted church. I know right now there's a lot of un- uncertainty in our own nation, and a lot of people are, are are feeling anxiety and things like that. And just press in and trust and pray and know that the Lord is good, He's faithful, and even in what looks like the darkest moments— uh, we see some of the most glorious and grand things. And every war we've ever fought, right before we won the battle, was the darkest hours. If you just look at the history of, of warfare, even, you have to realize sometimes when you think you're on the, the brink of it couldn't get any darker, there's a great and glorious sunshine on the other side. And um, I just I, I would really encourage our our, our listeners that— who maybe want to retreat at this time, press in, 
fight the good fight, pray, and uh, you've seen God's faithfulness and you know he's good and you know he'll come through. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.